You are listening to Inspired Caring with Michelle Magner, episode number 142. Hello, welcome to Inspired Caring. I'm your host, Michelle Magner. If you are caring for an older family member, this is the podcast for you. Each week, I bring insight, tips, inspiration, and strategies to help you care for the people that you love without losing yourself along the way. Having cared for both of my grandmothers, I've helped manage everything from hospital stays, households full of belongings, to navigating senior living and end-of-life care. And I've worked in senior living as a result of that experience, serving my residents and their families as they've been on this journey too. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. I'm so excited to have Mindy Crouch with Pando Geriatrics on today. Hello, Mindy. Hello. We met because when I worked in a nursing home, you provide counseling services to seniors within the senior living environment. Yes. And then do you also serve people who are still at home? Right. So we provide the talk therapy piece, um, the mental health therapy piece to any persons in senior living communities or um, in their homes or homebound status. They don't have to be homebound like you do for home health care to see us. But the idea is that uh, we'll come to you if possible. Then we can also do in office and telehealth. So we try to reach every corners that we can. And it's really geared towards a, a senior or aging population that you help. Right. Yeah. And so we don't really have an age cutoff. Um, but the idea is that we, one, can build Medicare, but two, we want to focus on the aging process or the health issues um, that surround that loss of control, that loss of independence and navigating, um, you know, senior living communities and trying to help people maintain their mental health or um, provide the support that they need for it. And what we were talking about before we hit record was I feel really passionate about caregivers, care partners being open to the idea of senior living because so often when someone finally moved in, the person who was moving into the senior living environment, into the building, really was not doing well. They were, their health, mental health, physical health were really compromised and challenged because they had stayed home um, with a caregiver who was really compromised mental health and physical health challenged. And I mean, just to be frank, what I said was it felt like the caregiver was half dead, the person moving in was half dead. And so that being in that senior living environment was really beneficial. And so I'm wanting, I think this is such an important conversation for us to have and walking this fine line of making sure that, you know, we are being real and we are being honest about the challenges of senior living and that transition into senior living and holding that space for positive light that, that it is a solution for so many people. So what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So 
you know, uh, nursing home laws really didn't start until 1987. So a lot of our older generation um, grew up with that idea that senior living is bad place to be and a bad place to go. And, and at the end of the day, none of us ever dream about the day that you get to move into a nursing home. Um, you know, although the idea of someone cooking and cleaning for us is super exciting, it's that, still, yeah, right. It's still the loss of independence. It's a loss of that home. It's that change that us as humans don't like. And so I do think as a society, geriatric care is moving in the right direction where we are now living in communities, not facilities, starting to get that respect back and starting to get that more individualized care within um, these communities that I think, like I said, we're headed in the right direction, but we still have the stigma from what was happening in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that we think that that's how nursing home care is going or what it actually looks like. And so, like you said, transparency is best, but just getting people out there and um, trying to get the topic open before they actually get into crisis. Because like you had said with the caregivers, you know, just being so stressed out, we know caregiver stress is real. We know caregiver stress increases the risk of death significantly that we have to take care of our caregivers just as much as we take care of the patients. And so what I always like to recommend is that the plan where you hope no one needs it, but it's there just in case. And so usually what happens is someone falls, goes into the hospital, there's a medical crisis, and then we need the senior living community. And then you don't know, well, what does my loved one want? What do, um, I don't know where to go. How much does it cost? Like they don't know the parameters and you're in crisis. And then you're making all these big decisions when in crisis. And that just makes it even harder. So if you can come up with a plan while both of you are still healthy, or if you're the, the child, talk to your parents before you get into crisis, tour some of these communities on multiple different levels of care. So then that way we have three independent nurse, uh, independent communities, three assisted living, three nursing home and a memory care kind of picked out. So then if an unfortunate crisis does happen, everyone's on the same page. And another reason why that's useful to do that is because you as the patient, if you get the opportunity to choose where you want to go, what's important to you, some people need outside space, some people want animals, some people want doilies, some people want clean lines, and it's based upon what you want, not what your spouse or your children want, you're more apt to better adjust to it, be more willing to make it work, and just the transition overall goes easier. One of the main setbacks that we have when it comes to senior living communities is as the caregiver, you are completely full of guilt, feeling like you have failed not being able to care for your loved one and having to put them in a community. And if you've had this conversation ahead of time and you know what they like and where they wanna go and kind of what the fine line was of, you know, if, you know, A, B, C, or D happened, it reduces that caregiver guilt. Because at the end of the day, the point of these communities is to help preserve the relationship as husband and wife, mother, daughter, father, son, whatever it may be. So that way, when passing does happen, we don't have that caregiver resentment and burnout. It's so prevalent. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's so 
um, present in caregiver lives and communities. It is, it is not a free pass to move into a building though. Like even if it's on your own, is it recognizance? Is that the word? <laughs> like yeah. even if you're the one who has participated in it, but especially if you haven't participated in it, and you mentioned that transition can be really tough on people. I was really surprised to learn that a top feeling for people that moved into senior living community was a sense of homelessness mm-hmm. that that they literally felt like they were homeless as a result of the move. So as we talk through some of these realities, I just want people to remember um, that there is hope. There is hopefully through support services, like what Pando offers some acceptance and grace and self-compassion that can help people navigate this and find their way to the other side. So Let's talk about some of the main challenges that people experience or their thoughts that they're having after moving into a senior living community. So I mentioned the homelessness. Yeah. Is that something that you're seeing? Yes. So, and I think the reason why a lot of that comes up is the generation that we're working with right now has stayed probably in their home for 40 plus years. And they've had all of these possessions that they have been accumulating for such a long period of time. And when they have to move into these communities, they have to sell off those homes and the majority of those possessions. Now, in a good transition, the important possessions and their furniture will transition with them to help it make it more like home. But all of those material possessions that in a sense were giving them a hug are gone. And then in the communities, when they talk to me, they're like, I have nothing left. We had to sell all of my stuff. And so that's where that sense of um, homelessness kind of comes in at. I mean, we can say that we aren't tied to our possessions and that we are focused on relationships as being our priorities. But when you think about our homes, and I mean, my home is like full of stuff. Stuff. I mean, quite frankly, there's a lot of crap in my house, but I have elected and to bring each item in or my children have. Right. Um, and just over time, I mean, the amount of things that you can amass is so overwhelming. Right. And then think about it too. You know, if you um, are sick and in the hospital and someone else has to pare down your stuff for you, think about someone going through your home, you know, and kind of what that feels like. And most of our homes are going to be our sanctuaries, whether we agree with how that other person lives or not, that is their space. And no matter what age you are, you know, if you're going from high school to college, if you're going from a single to, you know, a married relationship, bringing in children um, to aging, any change that you bring in your life, whether it's wanted or unwanted, is still difficult. It's still change. And us as humans, we like predictability. We like structure. We like consistency. Yeah, for, for certain. We have moved two daughters to college and it's been really interesting. Um, the middle child is a freshman this year. And so people keep asking her like, how's she doing? How's she doing? And I mean, she's like fine, but she's just not at home. Right. And so I guess it's so easy for me to relate that back to senior living. Yep. Like, you know, 
how's your mom? How's your mom doing? Well, she's fine, but she's, it's still not, it doesn't have a sense of home yet. Um, and we do talk about that with people who are living with dementia, that when they say, I want to go home, it often is a feeling that they're looking for, not necessarily a geographical place. Mm-hmm. Right. It's that sense of comfort. Right. That sense of comfort. So how can, what are some of the other challenges that you're hearing from seniors who have made that transition to senior living? Well, I think from a mental health standpoint, it's just super important that we validate what they're actually saying and not try to minimize it. You know, a a lot of times we go in and and we're like, what's the big deal? It's a beautiful place. You have someone cooking for you. The food is great. Like it was just a home or you're 85. What did you expect? I mean, we hear a lot of these other things. And in reality, their feelings are just as important as ours. And how many times do you go and seek a friend, not for them to fix your problem, but to just listen to your problem, to validate what you're going through and just understand how powerful venting is and validating their feelings allows them the opportunity to problem solve if necessary, or just to have that comfort or that hug that they need. So what I'm hearing is when a family member moves into a building And maybe I was the one who had to make that decision. If they are in a space or mindset of frustration or complaining, really they're looking for validation of those feelings and having a space where they can vent and talk about it without me responding in a defensive way Mm -hmm. or getting angry with them for feeling that way. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because I think well, one time, one person told me one time, just wait, it's going to be your turn soon because none of us have ever been old before. We know what it's like to be teenagers, to be 20 year olds, but none of us have ever been old and we cannot act like we understand it. We cannot act like we know it all. So this is where we have to learn from them. So help validating them, giving them their space, allowing them the opportunity to feel what they're feeling I think is super important. But then if we want to take it a step further, after we have validated, we're not minimizing what we're going through. We need to help them find a way to have some control back in the situation. So for example, you and I get into a car accident. Okay. We can both have a different. Hold on. I got to knock on wood. Yeah. Knock on wood. (laughs) Um, Okay. You both have a different perception of how that car accident happened, right? Even though we were both in the same space, same time, because that's just the difference in how we look at things. We cannot control an accident. Accidents happen. That's why it's called an accident. But what you can control is how you get out of the car and respond to it. You can get out of the car and throw a fit with the other driver, or you can get out of the car and call a tow truck. Which one do you want to do? So helping our loved ones find that control and how they react to the situation, because sometimes it just is what it is. And what are we going to do about it? And if you help them find that control and that decision making again, it gives them a sense of control in that uncontrollable situation that they're living in. So for me, I know when I feel like I am overwhelmed or things are out of control or the world is feeling too big and scary, I clean. Mm. So let's be real, folks. I'm not cleaning that often. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, I have two dogs and children. Um, but so, but so I guess that's just one of the ways that I seek to exercise some sense of control. And when you're in an environment where now throughout the day, you know, if you usually got up at 1030 in the morning, well, you're between meals. Yeah. Potentially in a senior living environment. So, so what I'm hearing is to just like find ways to regain some control Yeah. But like, think about your coping skill that you just used. You are now in a walker and you cannot Mm. very well. What do you do next? Angrily jamming the vacuum on each step. Right. You know, and so those are the, the small things that we have to think about, you know, because things are changing. How can we better adapt to it. You know, there's multiple ways to vacuum. It doesn't mean one way is necessarily the correct way. So is there some way we can adapt and change what we used to do into how we can make it work now? Or is it just different control in general that we have to look for? And I think we can look, sometimes we can look at history to get some information about how people have adapted to big changes in their life in the past. Um, To your point, a lot of times people have lived in houses for 40 plus years, but there maybe have been other big changes or other big things that have occurred in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's usually where, like you and I, we can get up and take charge of that situation. We can distract ourselves. We can keep busy and keep moving. Because a lot of times I'll get the, well, I wasn't depressed before. Why is this bothering me now? And it's like, well, you're not working, you know, before you were working to be able to say distracted, therefore this was not bothering you, or you could get up and move and you can't now. So it's having to learn those different coping skills or the different ways of thinking about it. Whereas before we just distracted ourselves or moved on to something else, or we were able to actually get up and physically change the situation. I mean, let's not underestimate someone having the ability to go open a beer at 1 p.m. Exactly. And it's not that I'm trying to make aging negative. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to be realistic on like um, how we can maybe help them perceive or change the um, direction that their thoughts are going in or to be just a little bit more flexible and to try new things or different ways of adapting, you know, because the person who's going to age the most successfully is the one who's willing to try different ways to accomplish the same goal. So the two questions that are immediately coming to mind are, you know, managing expectations about how long it might take for someone to adapt to their new living environment. And then really getting into at least one idea, like some meat of how we can help them reframework or shift, begin to shift those thoughts. So Mm -hmm. expectations, and then like a skill that we could practice or introduce to help shifting a thought. Absolutely. So it takes about three months to adjust to anything new. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we have to allow it quite a bit of time actually for them to find their new rhythm and routine. And I highly suggest whichever you want the outlook to look like, you start practicing that immediately right away, you know, meaning if I want to go to meals every day, the minute I move in, I start that routine. Okay. Motivation does not happen first. 
forcing yourself and establishing new habits starts and then routine follows because you've now gotten your body into that routine. So like I said, you picture the end goal and you need to start that routine right away. And it takes about three months for you to adjust to the new routine. Um, you know, because it is a command uh, rhythms and the way things work. And a lot of people that you have to learn to adjust to again, um, you know, kind of like in college when you moved into the dorms and, you know, you had the cafeteria and just, it's, it's a whole new rhythm that you have to kind of get used to. Um, and then the other thing, you know, how we can help them gain control again is remind them of what they've done throughout their lives, you know? the alarm clock goes off. This is a good example because almost all of us can relate. We cannot control when the alarm goes off, but you can control how you get out of the bed, right? And people have to be reminded that happiness really is a choice. It is how you choose to move through your day and to react to situations um, is really your choice. Now, there are times where things just upset us and irritate us and life happens, right? You know, here's our normal baseline. We all do this every single day. No one is happy all the time. So having them normalize and validate that this is okay, but then what are we choosing? How are we choosing to respond to this? And I think it also circles back to, um, the thought processes of the family member, especially if there's some dementia present, that we're not taking everything so personally. Our expectations are realistic to your point about um, someone's going to have a bad day, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can't every, maybe I'm working in a building for seven years, people would be having great days and then their family member would show up. And it, it would take a turn, which was so hard for the family member to wrap their head around. Um, so I don't know, that just came up for me that sometimes it's seeing the family member that triggers someone back into a state of frustration or anger or upset. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that one is so difficult to work with because a lot of times what do you do? Because you want them to still be able to visit you know, and see their loved one. Um, but we also want to preserve the dignity and grace of their loved one as, especially in, when they have dementia too, you know, but I do like your point where you said, you know, they're allowed to have a bad day. And that was one of the best advice that I got when I first had, uh, my daughter was it's their day too. It's not just your day. And to expect someone to be happy all the time, with never any sort of outbursts um, or frustrations, I think it's just unrealistic and it's not fair to them and it's not fair to you. And so I think if you say that you're allowed to have a bad day, then you need to offer that same person the same grace and have allowed them to have a bad day also. And I think to help the caregivers and the family members is to really try to put yourself in their situation. How do you wanna be treated when you age? What's important to you? Put yourself in their shoes and how do you think you would respond? Because then you can form that empathy and insight that might be able to help you navigate this a little bit better. You know, so if your loved one gets upset with you every single time when you come to visit because it's reminding them that they're not at home, then maybe we need to um, change the location of where we visit. Maybe we don't visit in the room. Maybe we visit 
um, at dinner time with everyone else. So it stays mm-hmm. lively and upbeat. Maybe we um, bring in an activity or something. So it isn't just sitting there discussing what's happening at home, you know, problem solving around that, that would help them. If you, if you think it would help you try it with them. So good. Um, I also think that people have this concept that when they move into seeing, when someone moves into senior living, um, it's going to solve all the problems. <laughs> Because there were a lot of problems probably occurring at home. Um, so just managing expectations around what pro- what problem, because with every solution comes a new batch of problems. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, one of my clients said that uh, this isn't the golden years, it's the rusty years, you know, oh, and yeah. aging is not for the weak. So... Again, not trying to be negative about it, but yeah, it's, it's a journey. It is, it is a pure journey. So we've talked about for our senior family member who has moved into a, a senior living environment, we've talked about, home, you know, this sense of loss and homelessness, um, this timeline of adjustment, starting new habits that you want to have pretty quickly because you're not going to have the motivation at first. You're going to have to kind of push through. Um, Is there anything else that people are experiencing that you're helping them work through or get through as they make this transition? Yes. I really noticed that. um, So people come to me because they get, they feel they're depressed or they have a new diagnosis of depression And when you dig deeper, so depression is, you know, here's our baseline again, and you down and you're staying, you're not popping back up to your baseline. You're just stuck. I've noticed a lot of it isn't necessarily down and stuck. It's grief, which is very messy up and down and up and down. And grief doesn't have to do with the loss of a loved one. It can absolutely. But you also have to recognize maybe the loss of a pet not being able to have your animal with you anymore, loss of independence, loss of house, health, home, control, all of those things we internally grieve. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that. And just as we, you know, in society, we're talking about labels and everything right now, it's easier to be labeled with the identity of grief because it's justified it's easier to validate and it's easier to say like, okay, understand the way I'm feeling the way I'm feeling versus if we say the word depressed, where it's like, you feel guilty, you feel stuck, you feel like you did something wrong or our older population, the eighties and 90 year old, that's a major mental illness that they relate back to the institutionalization period. You know, that's a stigma. That's a very bad to have. And so um, I think identifying it and labeling it correctly is also very helpful and letting someone to be able to cope with it. And I think with the people that I've worked with and coached, it's not just the grief of loss. It's a grief of what they thought their future might be or what they thought their future could hold. So they people really have this idea that they're going to drop dead in their houses. Like that's their grand plan. Like, and I keep saying all the time, dropping dead is not a plan. 
We all want to fall asleep and die in our sleep, right? But that's just not usually how it happens. Right. So no one wants to have a chronic illness or disease or accident or debilitating situation where you are going to require care. And we know that a very high percentage of people, if you live long enough, will be in position to need and require more care. So there's a grief of just what you thought, how you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And yep. so I guess one of the things that um, someone had shared with me was, well, I just, I realized I was wrong. I just, I had to reconcile in my own thoughts. I was just wrong about how I thought it was going to go. Is there any softer way that you can think of to help someone with reconciling that thought? Man, that's a good one, you know, yeah. because it does come up a lot where it is. It is you know, the idea of your retirement and what it was going to be is gone, you know? And I don't, besides just being realistic about it, I don't know how you sugarcoat that one. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. I was just thinking. And, and And it isn't that she's wrong, you know, because we all can hope and dream. It just didn't go as planned. Right. And I like the idea of holding a little space that something good could potentially come of this. Like, I think this is the other thing that in my experience is people have this idea that this transition, it is going to be hard, um, Mm -hmm. but that it is all loss and all grief and all frustration and then having to reconcile and adjust. And there is a lot of joy and laughter and connection in senior living, in buildings. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can get pretty isolated and stuck in a rut and a routine in your home. And you forget about just the small socialization or, or what you've been missing when you get around, you, you know, people that are like-minded that, um, grew up at the same time as you and the fun that you can have with that. Um, that is, it is fun to watch and to see, because we have to remember like, we get to hang out with living history books. I mean, they've experienced stuff only I can read about and I get to soak all that up. But then on the flip side, from this family standpoint, you no longer have to do the journey alone. You now have caregivers that are helping you through that, that are gonna love on your loved ones. You also have other family members you connect with that maybe are going through some of the same journeys that can help support you. So you don't feel like you're on an Island anymore. If you allow people to help you, if you allow them to come in and support you. Yeah, that is, it's so true and so powerful. And one of the things that I would share with families is we are loving your family member for who they are right now. Like we're soaking up their stories and their rich histories and we have no baggage attached to any of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Family member does. Yeah. Yeah. So you have authored a book on dementia and you have another book coming out this fall on grief share. Okay. You have your book. Can you hold that yes. up? Yeah. So this is my book. It's actually a children's workbook, um, called understanding dementia. And so it's just like a, how to kind of, um, fun little workbook that helps children um, ages eight to 12 independently. For smaller children, they're gonna need adult help. But basically, um, what is dementia? 
how do I not catch it? And the reason, one of the reasons why I made this book is because children are watching. They're totally paying attention, even though you tell them it doesn't pertain to them. Don't worry about it. They're soaking it all in. And all they know is grandma is sick. And especially after COVID and everything and being worried about catching all the sickness, we need to reassure them that they're not going to catch dementia. And we need to teach them how to love on grandma, not to be scared of dementia, why maybe they have some bizarre behaviors and to be able to navigate through that. But in the same time, how do we help them take care of themselves? So we have some mindfulness and self-help stuff in here. But then also who are safe people we can talk to and ask all these questions to. And we have found that some caregivers are really liking this too, because it's a short book, right? It doesn't take much effort to read it, but it's also just those quick tips and tricks that will help you um, navigate the situation. So let your kids be involved. You know, I know that we don't ever want to stress our kids out. I know that we don't want them to have to have the burden of caregiving, but it can turn open their eyes to a whole new world. It can enrich their lives of having to help take care of other people. It's wonderful and value skills that can be learned if they're a part of it and to make it a whole family loving process. Not saying that they have to be caregivers. That's not what I'm saying, but I think it enriches the kids' lives better if we include them in a knowledgeable, factual way. I think that it's so beautiful. And I that's exactly the kind of book that my kids would have really benefited from because my mother-in-law lived with dementia for a really long time and there was not a resource like that. So I love that you created that for people. And it helps bridge some empathy, like you said, for the adults involved as well. Um, I think the whispering and having conversations behind closed doors personally I mean, everybody gets to make, obviously, their own decisions for their own families, but I think it's hard and and scarier for kids. Right. Absolutely. Because they know something is wrong, right. you know, and then if you're whispering or trying, trying to keep it a secret or telling them that it's no big deal, it increases that fear. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same thing as you and me. We take this and we blow it up with all the what ifs, right? And your kids are going to do the same thing. We can just better rationalize and understand what we're going through versus the kids who are still learning about all of these different emotions and why things are happening. But, you know, if grandma's going to yell out for some reason um, at the dinner table, We want to be able to teach them how to not power struggle, maybe try different ways of interacting or turning an activity into a dementia friendly activity with them to empower them to uh, see if we can help one decrease those outbursts, but, um, you know, have them be a part of it. But then two, unfortunately, we do have an increased number of early onset Alzheimer's. So it may be their parent and not their loved one that they need help with, too. It's a high, it's one of the fastest growing rates of, I'm not saying this right, but anyway, the fastest growing population of caregivers are children, like kids having to care for parents with early onset. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted them to have this resource out there for them to do. And then, so, yeah. So then we have understanding grief coming out this fall. That'll be written in the same format of, um, a workbook to um, help them, we're calling it the four bridges of grief to be able to 
how to navigate or maybe understand the grief, why they're, um, why it feels the way it does and what happens when it's worse on one day versus better on the other. So, yeah, that'll be so good. Right. And like we said, grief can happen over multiple things. It isn't just a death and we can't discount how, um, significant the death of an animal is. And, um, like for you and me, grief could even happen with the loss of a job, you know, just any sort of change can, um, activate those grief responses. I mean, absolutely. So our daughter is a university and she had this idea in her head that she was going to go to one of the coasts Mm. to study. And so she had, she grieved and had to really let go of that dream when she realized that it wasn't going to be feasible for her. So I just think we're all dealing with grief at various levels all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing because for instance, when um, let's, you know, let's just say we've lost a loved one and the grief is more that day. If we recognize the, the triggers of what brought on that grief, we can help celebrate those memories better instead of being fearful of it or thinking you've done something wrong or thinking that you're backsliding. It's remembering those memories. It's remembering that moment of that song that came on the radio that brought up those memories and, and turning it into um, celebrating those memories and appreciating those memories instead of being fearful of them. Yeah. And I'm thinking about when you did your, your hand up and down, you know, and this is how we're feeling and it's okay to feel sad. We don't have to run from that. It's okay to just sit in it. If you're, if it's in a grief or loss within your own life or your family member having moved to senior living, it's okay for them to experience that grief and to feel sad. 100%. And like I said earlier, I think we have to change the expectations that you're not going to be happy all the time. Mm. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being super happy. We're not 10 all the time, every day. We are all over the place and at different levels of happiness too, you know, because a cupcake could bring you certain sort of joy where it's going to bring me a different sort of joy or the sun or the rain, or, you know, I mean, it's going to be different for everyone. And so having realistic expectations, I think is only fair to you and everyone else. Well, you said cupcake or middle child's birthday is tomorrow. She's not here, but I think I might still go get a Dairy Queen cupcake. 100%. <laughs> I, you know, and I recommend that all the time when someone has lost a loved one, where I was like, still celebrate the birthday, celebrate the anniversary. Like you would, if they're still, if they were alive, go do it, you know? And so have your daughter go get one for her. You get yours, eat them together or FaceTime and you get to celebrate the birthdays together, right? If I can wait till tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you just need to one today and one tomorrow. Yeah. I love that idea. A little zoom cupcake party. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mindy. This has been amazing. And I will have in the show notes links to um, your book and website and then just to have, if someone is, because I people listen to this podcast all over the place, it's not just in this region, but there are telehealth services as well for um, seniors who are adjusting to senior living. So you are in person with most in 
person with most people, your company? Um, so we are allowed to telehealth anywhere that um, we are licensed in the state our client is in. Okay. Yeah. So like I can, I can telehealth anywhere in Nebraska and Iowa because those are the two licenses I carry. Okay. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So yep. we'll make sure that the Pando website information is in the show notes as well. Yes. And if you have questions, just call, you know, we can always help out. Um just with those questions too. Yeah. Get people pushed, moved in the right direction. Right. And never try to reinvent the wheel and figure it out. Just start calling and asking questions to any one of us because someone knows someone who knows something, right? That yes. they just guide you. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you, Mindy. Thank you. What I know for sure is that things are going fine until they're not. Everyone wants to stay in their home for as long as possible. And then there's a fall or a hospital stay or clear signs of dementia or a diagnosis and remaining at home becomes questionable or potentially impossible. It is super important that you are informed about what assisted living and nursing home care can offer and understand how to choose the one that will best fit the needs of your family. I know from personal and professional experience what objections are going to come up and how to navigate those conversations. You love your family member and you are doing a great job. It just feels like the situation is fragile. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop and you don't know what you don't know. Illuminating Senior Living answers all of your questions and walks you through step by step each common objection and frequently asked question. This course will save you so much time and heartache. Imagine knowing exactly when it's time to move and ensuring the care and safety of your family member. Imagine knowing what specifically to be looking for in a care community and how to have the conversations about moving. Illuminating Senior Living gives you the roadmap so you're prepared. Click the link in the show notes, Illuminating Senior Living, to secure your video course today.